this is part two of two. Is this number Tales? five? My Brother's Keeper is number six. Okay, okay, good. Sorry, so go we're on. moving no, no, on to number on, on, We're moving on. on to number five. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So technically it's not in the top five. Wow. Okay, I'm just calm down. I'll wow. take, a, <laughs> take a fucking second. And I once again didn't write down the fucking... Uh, give me a second. Uh, okay, so my number, my number five best episode of Tales from the Crypt is The Ventriloquist Dummy, season two, episode ten. <laughs> You're going to Africa on safari, huh? Are you crazy? That's very dangerous. You could run across a very angry lion. I'll have my gun with me. Does it shoot lions? No, stupid, it shoots bullets. Lions are too big to load. How about a nice pop in the mouth? What are you, kidding me? Directed by Richard Donner from Scrooge, fucking, uh, he directed Lethal Weapon, too. Mm -hmm. And, um... The Goonies. And The Goonies, and, uh, The Omen, a bunch of other shit. Uh, Timeline. Yeah, timeline. Let's try and forget about timeline, please. <laughs> uh, like written by Frank Darabont, starring Don Rickles and Bobcat Goldthwait. And like, let me tell you, there's never been a greater combo on screen, except for maybe the one we just mentioned before. But um, so to give a brief overview, uh, Don Rickles plays this very famous like vaudeville ventriloquist artist. He like you know he has a puppet named Morty. They do back and forth at like resort, or, like bars and the Catskills, that type of shit. And uh, Bobcat Goldthwait, as a kid, saw his very last performance before, like, there was this big, there's a, there's this big mysterious fire, and the guy stops performing. But Bobcat Goldthwait grows up, and he wants to be a ventriloquist, like, a ventriloquist performer. So he goes, and he finds old Don Rickles, who's, like, basically a recluse now, and tries to get some tips from him. And uh, he discovers that, a bunch of stuff happens, but he discovers that the reason um, uh, Don Riddle doesn't perform anymore is because the puppet Morty, and again, they love Tales from the Crypt, whenever they have puppets, they love to play around the creepy puppets. There's not a ton of episodes with them, but there are some when they try to shove that stuff down your face, down your throat. And uh, his ventriloquist puppet Morty is actually his deformed brother who is like attached to his hand and it's just like this big lump of skin and bone uh, with like a high pitched voice. And that's and he and he just has a mask over him, and that's the puppet. And it ends with um, eventually Don Rickles cuts the cuts his brother Morty off him, and Bob Goldthwait starts going around with the deformed brother as the puppet, and then the deformed brother like somehow like lat like just fucking like he grasps himself his hand. onto grasps yeah. himself onto his hand his somehow. Fingers are sticking, out, sticking yeah. out of him. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, it's a very, very good episode. Don Rickles gives a great performance. Bobcat Goldthwait. And I love it because Bobcat Goldthwait is playing a puppeteer. Bobcat Goldthwait, who already sounds like a fucking Muppet, is trying to give himself a <laughs> silly voice and being a puppeteer. And it's just ridiculous. So I'm going to. So before we. Braden, what's, what, where did you rank this one? Uh, two. Number okay, two. Yeah, yeah great. This, I thought this was one. Yeah, I thought it this. Was, it was one for a long time. And then this morning when I went back to my brother's keeper. I was like, this is slight. These two are both great. These two are mm. both my favorites. Okay, so talk about what you loved about it. Uh, I think I love just the monster. Like, yeah. there's there's mm-hmm. so many that, or so many of, uh, especially the ones that you've picked, that don't really have a monster. That's true. But 
But this is really the one that did, from what I remember, right? Like, it's it's the most kind of yeah. monster movie of them all. Um, I guess it's not a ghost story, but um, you're also dealing with a brother. You see so you're dealing with the kind brother and the, like... Jonathan Stark brother is the is like Morty. He's the Morty, little fucking yeah. thing. Yeah, he's the one who who's very lewd to women and is assumed that he w- did he actually kill the woman that and then the fire was I started. I think we never get a clear answer. I think that's the implication yeah. that like he started the fire and killed the woman because like he yeah. says like his brother Morty like hates women and stuff and his brother Morty also has a lot of contempt from Don Rickles. He's there's a yeah. whole rant he goes on that encourages yeah. Don Rickles to try and kill him. Where he says yeah. like I'm the talent. I wrote all the jokes. Like I, like all these women are falling for my brother and I can't even do anything about it. Yeah, the brother the the struggle between Rickles and Goldthwaite in his like cabin. Yeah, where they're they're fighting each other is excellent. Uh, just like. Just to go back to my brother's keeper, that fight, that struggle between them, and they have that the pots hanging from the roof, and he keeps <laughs> hitting him over the head, with the, or hitting his head with the pot. I mean, those are uh, highlight tales from the crypt bits. Yeah, um, but yeah, the, the the fight between them is awesome. I love that sequence too, because like up to that point in the episode, it's not like a it's kind of like a standard story. Like it all feels like pretty like beat for beat, and then all of a sudden. Does he before the fight? Is that when he discover? Did they start fighting before he discovers that his puppet is the is the deformed brother? It's not as aggressive a fight, but there's like a bit of back and forth, and it's getting tense. But he's on the ground. So if you recall, he takes out the case where the puppet is. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, yeah. here, let me show you. It's not real. You might be delusional, and then, and then it. he's like, "No, it's, just, it's my brother." And he yeah. Like, so the second they start fighting, slash, when the re- revelation happens that it's a deformed brother, the entire episode just completely gets thrown into chaos. Uh, it's a pretty standard horror story, more or less, until they start fighting, slash, we have the revelation that the deformed brother is the puppet, and then the entire episode, the entire everything is just thrown into chaos, and it becomes this huge mess of good, like horror fun. Mm. Do you agree with me there, Brayden? Uh, yeah, for the most part, yeah, it really, um, it it is kind of predictable in a way, um, just kind of just deducing what's happening at the beginning. What really, uh, what I think really nails home how great the episode is, is Bobcat Goldthwait's performance as a ventriloquist yes. <laughs> before he gets Morty as his... Yeah, so there's a beat I didn't whatever. mention where, like, Bobcat Goldthwait finds Don Rickles, he tells Don Rickles how big a fan he was, and he begs him to come see his his first ventriloquist act, he's doing yeah. it like an open mic, and Bobcat and Don Rickles agrees to come see him, and Bobcat, like, completely fucks it up, the, the head falls off the puppet, and it's a great... that That's, like, a best one of the best part of Bobcat's performance oh, in that episode. Oh, it's terrifying. In yeah. the most human way possible. Yeah. Um, and also, Bobcat Goldthwait's hairdo is just out of control. Yeah. <laughs> That's the scariest part of this whole fucking countdown. Like, like that ponytail is off the charts. <laughs> and I'm uh, into it. It's, uh, it's very... I love Bobcat Goldthwait. It's very late 80s. Big, yeah. big fan. Yeah. Big fan. Um, this is my favorite episode, to be honest. I, I loved it. I lo- It reminds me a lot of this movie called Basket Case, where it's, like, a very similar kind of, like, just a flesh monster. Though in Basket Case, he doesn't... He's not, like, snarky. He's just, like, constantly just screaming at the top of his lungs. (laughs) So it's not quite the same, but... Yeah, and I also... It kind of gives me, like, John Carpenter vibes with having this kind of, like, little flesh monster kind of running around. Because it's weird, because he cuts off 
basically like uh, the hand of Don Rickle. Like Don, he cuts him off himself, so you think mm-hmm. like that would probably be what would kill this thing that's conjoined. But no, he just he cuts it off, and then he's like squiggling around on the floor and stuff. So it's like, how? What is the logic of this like organism? That's like I don't know. <laughs> Very weird. But I, I just love the way. It looked. I love because this was the, so. This was also the first episode of Tales of the Crypt I ever watched. Uh, when when I like downloaded, it, I mean legally watched all these episodes. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> well, better watch yourself there, buddy. Like, you never know; they'll be after me. Uh, but they when I when I watched the episodes, um, this was the first one I had ever watched, and it seemed benign. Like I had, I still thought it was like a children's esque thing. I was like, man, it's kind of racy with talking about. These these women kind of throwing themselves yeah. up, but how how bad could it get? And then there's gore, there's like great special effects, like Don Rickles gets his neck kind of torn out. They by drop his, the f bomb a lot. Yeah, a lot of swearing, a lot of uh, yeah. As you said, like lewd comments. It's it's it is totally um, like and especially as you said, as like the kind of the third act of the episode comes, that it just goes balls to the wall crazy. Yeah. It becomes a super fun thing where. Uh, Bobcat's character is constant. Like he's not swinging the bat; he's like keeps on holding it above his head as he's saying a one-liner before <laughs> <Yeah>. doing it. <laughs> like he's some mechanism in a giant cuckoo clock. Like. Yeah, and he can't he can't swing until he's done his like long phrase that he has before. Yeah. And but then it gives him the opportunity to squiggle through his legs. I love it. A lot of fun stuff. Um, I like I like how you bring up. Hen and Lauder's uh, basket case because I also think you can draw comparisons to his other, I guess, bigger film like Brain Damage. Okay, I, brain. I haven't seen Brain Damage. Oh, it's oh, it's I haven't seen either. It's, of it's also dealing with like an appendage thing okay. that latches onto you and kind of gives. Mm. Well, in in Brain Damage, it gives you this this creature gives you like a high. Oh, um, interesting. So this 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 character becomes addicted to having this this worm thing inject mm. weird chemicals into his into his spinal cord and all this stuff but then it needs to eat people it's it's a little different but it's also dealing yeah it's also dealing with this like unwanted other character that's really stuck on you at this point mm. and it's right right yeah i love the griminess i think you see the griminess between hen and lauder and and this episode too mm-hmm. like it's yeah. gross yeah. it's also like bizarre <laughs> just to bring like another film into it um dead silence um I, I james wan's i think it's dead silence about the ventriloquist dolls yeah with uh, like rips your tongue out or something yeah it's I very seen it, but. yeah it's very um yeah it's james wan written by lee Wanell. Okay. But it's very much a bizarro world, like Uncanny Valley, kind mm. of like this. Okay. Right. Like, it is a weird place where this theater, like, this ventriloquist theater is, and this weird <laughs> woman. Like, definitely check it out, because it's it's post-Saw, James Wan, okay. trying to do this bigger-budget horror film that, I think, for all expectations, it completely bombed. Uh-huh. And that's why they then had to make... <laughs> that's why they then went to... Uh, Saw Blom 5. And, like, no, and no. made um, Insidious. Oh, this. Okay. Like, they made this ultra-low-budget mm. horror film after Dead Silence because it was such a big flop. Shit. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And this is, I guess, uh, pre-Aquaman James Wan, too. Totally. Right. But this is, like, big haunted house. Right. Okay. I, I, you uh, know, I, this yeah. is, like, yeah, like, like Dead Silence, what, 2004 or something like that? 2007? Okay, fine. One thing I was also going to say, just to quickly go back to the episode, too, is that, like, when you think about ventriloquist dummies, 
you immediately think that the foe will be the creepy ventriloquist dummy. I think a lot mm-hmm. of people think of that. Uh, it's, there's a particularly remember Goosebumps episode. Slappy. Slappy. Yeah, that's it. Um, so it's like, that's the, this probably, I, it was weird how I didn't, I'm only noticing it now when I think about it, but it's like, oh yeah, usually when there's a ventriloquist dummy, that's the main scare. That's yeah. kind of the creature. Um, like a possessed one that's like, there's, a, there's but a, it's not the case in this one. That's the twist that it's like, oh, we got body horror here. Yeah, like that's like, there's another Tales from the Crypt episode called, I think it's literally called Strung Along, oh, where okay. it's about, yeah, it's about this guy who like was famous in the 50s for running like a Howdy Doody type puppet show. <laughs> and, uh, and like he's being invited back to do like, they're doing, they're doing like Golden Age of Television thing. So he's invited back to like just do some of his old sketches with the puppets and a bunch of shit happens but essentially like you find out yeah that one of his puppets is alive and like mm. yeah mm. anyway so anything else about this episode just that it's great yeah, yeah. i fucking uh i like it i guess you guys thought i should have put it higher on my list yeah, I'm I, mean, I, 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 I right, also you know I'm, I'm very biased towards don rickles i just i love him. love don rickles he's so good so I also mean, don rickles is kind of scary when he gets really freaked out he's a and he's like threatening bobcat and he's like mm-hmm. saying like you don't fucking know what you did like you think you, know, you don't know it all like i would have loved a slasher movie with Don Rickles just being an angry person, just going after people. Yeah, we never got it. I mean, the thing with Don Rickles though is that like you could a slasher movie. You usually need like a more aggressive or mobile villain. Where I don't think I could buy Don Rickles like being able to chase down some college kids down. He looks like his great double double. He's like almost an acrobat. Like he's like backflipping around. Yeah, I mean to argue that you have. Miss Voorhees as the slasher villain in okay, that's and she's true. like hanging up right. people with arrows and like <laughs> yeah. driving arrowheads through a bed into Kevin Bacon. Right, that is true. So, that is true. fucking coarsely. John Rickles right. could could hit that yeah. guy. All right, all right. <laughs> so we're ready to move on. Okay, yeah, we can move on. <laughs> Don Rickles could get there. <laughs> he could do it. We just it's the right training. training. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, so my number four best Tales from the Crypt episode is Abracadaver, season three, episode four. I understand more than me. Don't patronize me, little brother. I know you better than that. I'm not patronizing you, Martin. I'm simply disagreeing that there's a difference. Your idea is completely untenable. Take oxygen away from someone's brain, and all they have left is a couple of pounds of organ meat. They can't hear, they can't feel, they can't see. You're as narrow-minded as everyone else. Oh, that's the pot calling the kettle black. I don't have to help you, you know. Nobody helped me get through medical school. That's because you're a fucking genius. It has nothing to do with that. Becoming a surgeon is about... And Abercrombie is directed by Stephen Hopkins, written by Jim Berg, starring Bo Bridges, Tony Goldwyn, and Tom Wright. So, just to give a brief plot overview of Abercadaver, um, it's once again two brothers. Uh, two Bo brothers. Br- yeah, Bo, Bo Bridges is the older brother, right? Yes. I think so. Bo Bridges is like this older brother who's like a kind of esteemed doctor. His younger brother, in the beginning, is in med, is in med school. And his younger brother kind of pulls this big prank on him, but it, but Bo, but from the prank, Bo Bridges has a heart attack, and it kind of like it makes him lame essentially. Like, I think there's an implication that because of his limp or something, he can't perform surgeries. Like he well, it's his good. hand, it's oh, his one hand side is, of his body because he had a heart attack. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so then they cut to years later. Though the 
older brother is like kind of feeling sorry for himself all the time and the younger brother is like now an esteemed doctor who can fund like research labs and shit like that and he's constantly because he feels bad for his older brother he's constantly funding research for his older brother because his older brother is obsessed with the idea that like you can die but still be alive if there's brain activity even if your heart has gone dead and he has come up with a drug that he injects in you like he could kill you and then he injects you with a drug that'll keep your brain activity alive so you're still conscious and seeing everything but your body is limp and your heart's technically not beating a drug so, that looks a lot like the same kind of ooze from anime from reanimator yeah, I mean, yeah a little bit of a throwback and also to the our, tmnt ooze as well yeah. <laughs> anyway so he the older brother takes revenge on his younger brother by supposedly poisoning him injecting him with this stuff and he kind of like tortures his brother a little bit because his brother there's this whole inner monologue where you see it from the brother's perspective he's being dragged around the cadaver lab in the med school he's hung up on a meat hook they start to they say like they say he can't feel any of it though but it's just torture being there and shit like that and then in the end just again I'm going to spoil the ending right away uh, you discover that this was a prank that while his younger his older brother has developed this drug he's somehow pranked him by the by putting him with this different drug so he was never actually dead he was just he just lost control of his body mm-hmm. and while he thought he was being tortured nothing was actually happening to him yeah it was like a paralytic kind of yeah drug. but he know. has developed this drug and then he's mm-hmm. like and then it, his younger brother upon discovering this is like oh shit like cool that you pranked me and we'll just use this drug and get rich <laughs> and then all of a sudden cool prank and then all of a sudden of course the younger brother has a heart attack himself and as he's dying the older brother injects him with the actual drug that like keeps his brain activity alive while he is dead and and then it ends I love it because it ends with this thing where like there was one thing he was wrong about like they say like feeling is the first sense to go it's the last and he can feel as like he can feel everything as he's in the autopsy and his head's being cut open and that's how it ends mm-hmm. right. so Brandon where did you rank this I'm curious number six number six damn we've not really matched up on anything although we're off by one <laughs> or no by two anyway what did you uh, like about it was this right. it, it was very reanimator like very mm-hmm. much about brain death and uh, yeah the fluid the cool fluid um, yeah, that's... <laughs> uh it's it was all right i love the perspective like how how we were in a forced perspective uh visually and we were stuck in his head or in his eyes a lot of the time um it was i i don't know i i it just didn't excite me again yeah two brothers one brother is like this the other brother is quite the opposite um but uh, what I enjoyed, I think, the most was just kind of the this weird, like, high-tech shrine to voodoo and, like, Haitian yeah. folk medicine. Oh, yeah. And he, like, yeah. types in a bunch of numbers, and then this thing comes out, and there's a shrunken head. Yeah. It's like, are you just, like, <laughs> are you just, like, distilling the essence of this cool shit down into, a, like, a, a, like, a green goop? It was, that was cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I I will note maybe this lost points, but there was a weird boom in at the beginning yeah, of the there episode. Was, yeah. <laughs> in one of the shots, uh, it was also there was like this weird bit about like the girlfriend being a cadaver, and that was yeah a because little, the like, prank oh. is the beginning. The beginning of the prank yeah. is that like he's like oh look at this yeah like, brother filling up her. Stuff I know, I know. There's, it's a little un, for those watching. Who those are going to watch these episodes? The beginning of this episode is a little boot gazing and gross. Like I could honestly say, you could even just fast forward through that scene because all you need to know is that he pulls a prank where he makes the older brother think these cadavers will come alive and it gives mm-hmm. him a heart attack. Yeah, but uh, I liked it because like. 
Uh, only afterwards did I realize a lot of the reanimator thing. Reanimator is not as, it's not as fresh in my mind as it probably should be. Um, but uh, I just like the whole nightmare situation of like not having control of your body and like mm-hmm. being hung up on a meat hook and dragged around a cadaver mm-hmm. and being at the complete mercy of someone who like has pretty much hated you for the past ten years. Like, yeah, it reminded me a lot of the end of Midsummer, or I guess like throughout that sure. movie, there's yeah. a lot of uh, kind of like paralysis that they inject, like they kind of. Uh, non-consensually induce onto people and it was a lot like this where you know especially like the scenes where it's very funny because um they keep on saying like oh you're gonna feel it you're gonna feel it so like when they put him on this meat hook and it's supposed to be he's like oh i don't i guess i don't feel it and um i think it's just like the the terror of being known that like if no of thinking your body is being hung up on a meat hook is what it was yeah yeah it's just weird though that just some some details that if you think about it for a little bit, you're like, I wait, how? how really, I really, I don't know. I just kind of I enjoyed the ride of this episode. I enjoyed like I got yeah I I saw the twist coming in the end where like I guess the whole time I was wondering like is this a prank? Is it not a prank? And then seeing coming that it was a prank, but then also being immediately the minute it's a prank as a kid, like he's gonna have a heart attack. But like yeah, and I guess thought it was like a cool ending where like he's screaming as they are cutting him open mm-hmm. in the actual autopsy lab. I really enjoyed this episode. I guess you guys didn't enjoy this much. It, no, again, again, it, I think it came back to Dead Ringers again a little bit for me. Just, okay. just two yeah. brothers in a medical environment. Um, one thinking that he's more deserving than the other, and there's a vendetta between them. Um, doing this new kind of. It's not gynecology in this, obviously, but um, <laughs> but uh, I was wondering. It, it, I don't know. It was um, there were just some weird bits that I just that again, like also the the kind of the um, the very tropey caricature uh, Haitian Jamaican dude. Yeah, was a little. Although you yeah, do discover that the act he's putting on. Now. Yes, but it's yeah, also but, yeah, it's still, yeah. That's that's what I was gonna say too. It's like th- them kind of like uh, showing him later that it's an that it's an act. Almost like doesn't make it worse. It just kind of like it's like ah okay. This is kind of part of like a weird. For the most part, there aren't any like soup when it comes to like depictions of race on Tales from the Crypt. First off, the most of the show is pretty white. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, they're like, and this is coming from a white guy. So like, if anyone like really disagrees with me or, or, or seen the whole series and thinks that there was some, that there was a really bad depiction of race in one particular episode. And like, I can think of some where it's iffy. They kind of want to find lines sometimes, but there, I don't think there was anything ever blatantly like, holy shit, it's the fucking crows from Dumbo kind of level. <laughs> right. And just to give listeners some context, while the brother is under and thinks that, like, he's dead but his brain activity is still there, there's an assistant doctor who works in the lab who, like, he wears dreadlocks, he smokes joints, he speaks with a strong Jamaican accent, and he's constantly, like, like, and he's the one who, like, puts him up on a meat hook and kind of, like, tosses his body around willy-nilly. So that's what we're talking about here. And then later at the end of the episode, you discover that was an act he was putting on. Mm. Sorry, yeah. Just, what are you guys going, huh? You knew this. What's also interesting is the Sorry. fact that, like, he, his brother doesn't know any of his research assistants or anything like that. Like, he mm-hmm. just is just like, oh, yeah, so this, this... They this, do establish uh, that his brother never fits him and shit. Well, so, like, right. on the other hand, the older brother never knew what his younger brother's girlfriend looked like. That's yeah. also true. That's yeah. A, yeah, he just thought Very it was some distant, random cadaver. Uh, right. Yeah. 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 Huh. All right. Anything okay, else about this episode? I also just love. I know it's a stupid title, but I love the title Abracadaver. Yeah, I know. There's a there's a web series out there made in Alberta and called Abracadavers. What? Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Well, 
Again, I find. I guess. I guess they're allowed to do that. <laughs> kidding. We'll allow it. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. Never. Okay. Now we're uh, we're getting on. We're in the, we're in the top three guys. Okay. Okay. Uh, at this point, do you guys think you know who my number one is? And don't say it if you think you know. No, I don't know. I, I no? haven't been able to do process of elimination in my head yet. So, um, well, um, no, don't, 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 don't read the titles out loud that are left in the numbers in the top. Let me just. Okay. So moving on. <laughs> my um, oh, I want to get it in front of me so I can actually like read off the director and writer. Okay. So. My number three best Tales from the Crypt episode is The New Arrival, Season 4, Episode 7. It's 10.05 and time for Good Psychology with award-winning child psychologist Dr. Alan Getz, author of the best-selling The Art of Ignoring Your Child. Dr. Getz, our first caller is a mother from Glenbury. I want to know where to get my three-year-old's hormones investigated. Every time I look at her, she's... Oh, she's masturbating. Now, now, listen to me. All children rub their genitals for the pleasure it gives them. Probably you do, too. And there's nothing wrong with it. Ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. Uh, This is directed by Peter Medak and uh, written by Ron Finley. It stars David Warner... Uh, Joan Severance, Zelda Rubenstein from Poltergeist, and Twiggy is in this for some reason. The, the famous model Twiggy. Um, so to give a brief overview, what I like to, whenever I'm able to talk about this series that I want to talk about this episode, which is very rare, um, the new arrival is kind of like if Frasier had a super dark episode. Um, is my really no one finds it funny? It's just Moss laughed it earlier. <laughs> no, okay, it's just because it's you already said it to me. Sir, go on. You know, but a studio audience laughter under when I said that. Later. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, so the main character is oh, I can't fucking remember his name, but the main character played by David Warner is this. Uh, he's a ra- he's a psychologist radio host, but he's specifically a child psychologist, and he's written a book, and his whole thing is like he he likes his big catchphrase is snapping his fingers and saying like ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. Anyway, but he's yeah, he's British fun. and he's a. Go- <laughs> Shut up. He's a complete asshole, but his ratings are going down the tube on the radio show, and he finds out they're basically about to cancel him. So in this last-ditch effort to save his show, he gets this call from Zelda Rubenstein, who's called a few times about her really troubled kid. So he's like, you know what? Like, We're going to, on the radio show, we're going to visit you tomorrow, and we're going to deal with your kid and figure out what's going on. And that's like his last-ditch attempt. So the plot involves... Him going to visit Zelda Rubenstein with two of his produ- two people who work on the show, who work at the radio station. This kind one of a higher woman, up producer that kind of controls the yeah fate one of is, the show and the yeah. Other so one's Joan like, Severance, the yeah. higher producer you just mentioned, and his assistant Twiggy. And poor Twiggy, all Twiggy <laughs> wants to. I know, I'm sorry, they have character names. I can't remember. It them. sounds like a Pokemon's nickname, you know? Like you know, no no one's named Twiggy. I know Twiggy is like she's just so nice to this radio host. All she wants to do is like support David. Anyway, so. So they start they start to walk around this house and they basically discover that like Zelda Rubenstein herself is kind of crazy and they never and they're never able to see the kid in the same room as her and the kid's always running around wearing a mask. If anyone who knows Zelda Rubenstein, she's like the hamster voiced woman from Poltergeist. Um, she's very short as well. So there's this kind of a dramatic question: is like, does she actually have a kid or is she just crazy and has multiple personalities and think there's a kid? And um, uh, you know, I'll leave it at that. We'll talk about the ending as we go. Actually, I'll just mm-hmm. say the ending. You discover that, that there is a kid, but the kid's been dead for 40 years, and it's kind of like this deformed zombie. And there's a line I love that she says where it's like, it's love that's kept her alive, but it's also caused her so much pain. And he discovers that, like, they've kind of been luring child psychologists into the house and just keeping them there in these, like, cobwebby cocoons. Like, they've kind of been killing them there, just letting them die there. 
and also is along the way to the two uh, the the two producers he's brought along with, and they wind up getting axed themselves. And uh, it's just it's very it's creepy. There's a good atmosphere, and funnily enough, um, so where did you rank this, Brayden? I ranked this. Uh, it would be ooh, uh, six. No, you just said the other one was six. You just said uh, Abracadabra was six, didn't you? Sorry, I mixed it up. Abracadabra seven. This is six. Okay, so this is six for you? Yeah. So this is my number three, like I said before. But I'll, before making this list, I looked up and I tried to look up other top ten lists people made for this series. This was a lot of people's number ones. Interesting. I, I did enjoy it. Um, David Warner is awesome. He is great if uh, either of you have seen In the Mouth of Madness. No, I have not. John Carpenter film. Ooh, okay. Um, I will. Where it's him opposite, it's David Warner opposite Sam Neill. Sam Neill has already gone nuts and he's in an asylum. And David Warner shows up to try and, I believe I'm getting this right, try and figure out what happened when when Sam Neill went to visit this author who has who's, who's a super successful horror author who seemingly is getting these... I don't know why I'm describing In the Mouth of Madness so detailed, but it's, it's essentially like a play on like Stephen King and where Stephen King getting all his scariest ideas. It's actually he's okay from another realm kind of stuff. Okay. Um, anyway, so he's almost pl- he's he's playing a psychologist in that, too. Um, so David Warner's great. You failed to mention that. Did you say that Robert Patrick's in this? Oh, I forgot. No, I didn't the mention. T one thousand is playing <laughs> a late night radio host named Lothar. <laughs> oh my god, he's not even late night. He's like a daytime radio host. Oh, I thought it was a nighttime. So thing. yeah, there's like this I mean, rival. It feels that way. <laughs> very Robert Patrick's barely in it. There's a very brief thing where um, the guy who takes off the t- takes over the time slot right after um, David Warner <laughs> is like, what is it? I don't even. know. it's right before. He's oh, it's before. right before. So right before David Warner is Robert Patrick, who's like this weird sensual daytime radio host or something like that. <laughs> And in the end, they put on the radio, and after he's been, like, trapped in the house, they discover that, like, Robert Patrick has taken over his time slot. Yeah. And he's got this little nine-inch nails pin on. and really yeah. like, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a weird role for th- Robert There's Patrick. something about it, though. I can, yeah. gotta admit, yeah. I think I'd listen to that radio yeah. show. It's, the only yeah. thing that, like, so I really enjoy this series. I really enjoy this. I enjoy the atmosphere of the house. It's It feels, while it feels creepy, there's also, like, a lot of oddity to it. Like, <laughs> everything feels out of place. Like... It just, yeah, it's a very upside world. Everything feels out of place. I, I expected more weird stuff to happen, although a decent amount of weird stuff does happen. Like, there's you discover that the little girl's favorite bubble gum is, like, this type of grape gum, and they come to the end of the God, hall where right. it's, like, stuck up all over the walls mm-hmm. and shit. I thought that was cool. I thought we'd get some more weird shit like that. Another thing I thought we were gonna they were going to do, and then I kind of wish they had done, is I thought they were going to start recording the show when they got there, and that this was going to be them on the air dealing with this. Although, that'd be very similar to another episode of the Celeste we well, haven't gotten that, to that, yet. that's one of the points I want to make, is that... I guess at least two of your top three are about fading, uh, fading stars in media, yeah. mm. which is interesting. Yes, um, especially these older men who are not great to their their they're women fucking awful. Co-workers. Yeah, yeah. David like, Warner is somehow he's a very much he's very much like a Fraser character, but somehow he's more of a dick than the character Fraser. Like, yeah, yeah I think. Well, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of it goes to show like. 
I would never, ever take advice from this child psychologist who's like, his main piece of advice is to ignore it and to like train yourself like freaking Pavlov's dog who's like, remember, just ignore, ignore, ignore. It's like, what an awful philosophy. Like, it's like, oh yeah, you know, just, just let your kid do it. Whatever it is, ignore it. (laughs) And isn't he also, he is really only, like the book he brings is written by a psychologist who's up in the attic. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yes. No, no, no. He no, brings um, his own book, but he look. But then they look references. and see what's his name, Spitzmacher or something. Yeah, they other... reference. They look. They look at her library and they see like she has every book by all these like revered child psychologists. And he takes one out, and then she insults him, and she's he's like, yeah. But then he discovered that that child psychologist yeah. is up in her attic, dead. Well, it's mm-hmm. because yeah, but but he did mention a theory I think from that child psychologist before they're looking at that library. Like he's like, oh, I, I think I don't think he like, does. Oh. I think he only mentions. No, his, he does. No, oh, I think maybe. he does. And then she's like. Like no, I know about Spitzmacher. Like okay, she's like, he does, and he's just like, no, you don't. But then they see later <laughs> that he does. Uh, yeah. she does actually. Uh, she knows him very yeah. well. And Zelda Zelda Rubinstein gives a great performance. I mean, she's good usual, at playing. I mean, come on. I mean, this isn't anything new. Like she was great in Poltergeist as like the creepy kind of uh, not ghost hunter but paranormal expert. And she's great in this, just as like a woman who you don't know is crazy. I like this little detail where you find like the photograph of her husband in like a World War II platoon with like General mm-hmm. MacArthur's there. And that's when they start to think like, oh, is she nuts? But um, yeah, sorry. What else? I thought I going into this, I thought it was going to be an orphan type plot. Yeah, and that and that she like when Zelda Rubenstein opens the door, I thought that she was actually a an old daughter. Oh, okay, that's mm-hmm. what I thought was gonna be gonna happen. And she's dealing with, or they're dealing with, just like in the orphan, like a and. A, a middle-aged woman who is posing as a daughter, and okay. then we're de- that's what I thought going into the episode. But yeah, I couldn't hmm. see that coming. But yep. I remember, and like a lot of people, like I still like the very episode of the episode a lot. But I've read a lot. I read a lot of people talking about it online saying like it was like unsettling and shit. I'm like, I want to say it was unsettling, <laughs> but like, did Wait you a say horror unsettling? What like, the white mask stuff was creepy. Yes, I, I do agree. Yeah. And then the the perspective through the the mask. Yeah, as, as the as, as the, like they she oh, kills Joan Severance yeah. too. Yeah, I, I, again though, like isn't that good? That it is, is unsettling. Good. No, 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 no. I just no. What I'm saying, no, I'm. It is a positive thing. I'm right. just saying, like, I didn't, I didn't find it unsettling as some people online said it was. Yes, That's okay, what I'm no, no, saying. okay, yes, I see what you're saying, and I agree with you. Yeah, I, I don't think. Um, I watched it with my well, I watched it with Gabe, who's also been on this podcast, and he's like he was way more. He was like this episode yeah. was super creepy, and I I mean it's it's a fine episode, and I I liked it quite a bit, um, despite like the the silly child psychology philosophy yeah. he has, but like it was it, it was very good, but um, yeah, I, I didn't think it was as like unsettling. It was just more like okay. You kind of know they're all going to die. Like, they go into that house and you're like, okay, this is... So it's not like... To be unsettling. Because I don't think that's, that's the goal. That's like, not the horror that I, I characterize it as. No. Yeah. Because um, they're really going for... They're all funny, really, for the most part. Yeah. So they're really setting up and paying off scares and jokes quite quickly. Yeah, they just want this to be a super yeah. memorable half hour for you. And, yeah. if that, and, that, and they do that via what you said, the scares and jokes, like it's a mile a minute. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Do, yeah. Do we get an explanation as to how this zombie child has been existing? No, they just said that she just said she died 40 years ago but stuck around. And I kind of like that there's no explanation. I don't think we needed a big... Well, actually, there was a mention of she's been waiting 
waiting for her father to come home from the war. Right. Oh. So there's there there's a bit of an allusion to like um, the daughter still existing or still maybe loving her father and waiting for her father to come home so okay. she can't die. Okay. And since the father never comes home, neither yeah, she that's can't fair. Leave. That's not like yeah. that's like I, I could see that being the reason they don't push that a lot. But yeah, no, I it's pretty what you're saying. I mean, they I I feel like they keep it. They keep it nice and and like it's not really like the the satisfying part of it is more or less seeing as we've been talking about like the this main character who's got these character flaws we see the kind of satisfying result of their character flaws like his kind of cockiness like yeah. you know the only the only characters that ever deserve the fate that they get is like the people who find time to argue and be an asshole during like a life or death yeah. war situation which he does like he argues with both of the producers that he's with and uh, yeah anyway, interesting yeah. um so yeah anything else about this or are we ready to it was alright well, yeah we can move on yeah I had a funny I like the Crypt Keeper intro we even talked about the intros with a lot of these episodes but I liked the this was back when the Crypt Keeper like did intros that like had to do with the episode as the series goes on his intros become very random like like there's one where yeah. he's like a golfer but the episode has nothing to do with golf and it's shit like that well the 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 Agatha Christie episode he's like a wizard soothsayer yeah exactly and it has and nothing to do yeah. with anything well maybe yeah. it's just really layered Zach maybe it is connected it's just a big metaphor you never think uh, my that. theory is that the producers just loved putting him in crazy costumes and that becomes <laughs> that becomes like a fucking goal for his intros and outros and they have nothing to do with the rest of the episode there's an episode where he's like dressed up as Santa Claus in the beginning it's a very Christmassy <laughs> episode and I'm like I guess this aired in December because the epi- but the episode itself wasn't a Christmas special or anything <laughs> anyway but there's yeah, a they were just I'll talk about it later but there's a very famous Christmas episode of the series Moving on. Um, so, yeah, okay. All right, moving on. We're getting, we're on our last two here. So, my number two best episode of Tales from the Crypt is Television Terror, Season 2, Episode 16. A couple that was taking pictures in Paris of uh, Jim Morris. Yeah, they said they got a bunch of him having lunch with Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> okay. All right, I like it. You think people are going to believe that? Yeah. They'll believe what I tell them to believe. Got a great idea. Listen to me. 1960s rock music. I get the outfit, the Morrison jacket, the tight leather pants. Stuff the sock down in front. Nice touch. Uh, directed by Charlie Picherny, as I guess that's how you pronounce it, and written by Randall Johnson, starring Morton Downey Jr., Dorothy Park, and Michael Harris. And... Um, so, again, to give a brief overview, uh, Morton Downey Jr. plays... His name's Horton, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Morton plays Horton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Morton plays a guy named Horton, who... <laughs> <laughs> Horton is Horton is the host of a live TV show that investigates like haunted houses and shit like that. No, no, no. It, it, he's just like any kind of journalism. Like, what? Are you sure? It's like a yeah, Dateline yeah. type thing. Yeah, it's like Dateline, oh, but a yeah. little more a little more risque. In okay, terms maybe. Of, like, okay, I missed that. I kept thinking it was supposed to be like a Ghost Hunters type show. No, no, no. no. Oh, that's right. Because he mentions going to like see. In other There's episodes, an impotent transsexual story that they were pitching. Yeah, yeah they were like, you could yeah. go talk to some neo-Nazis, you could go talk yeah. to this group that says they were visited by aliens. It's kind of like one of those, like, yeah. Um, yeah, Dateline, but with less standards. Well, like, Dateline, Unsolved Mysteries, because he's very Robert Stack mm-hmm. at the beginning there before he reveals his real personality. Um, yeah. Not Dateline NBC, Dateline History Channel. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. For, 
just let me get the overview. So he play so he hosts his like Dateline show, and this episode they're going into a haunted house. But the house is that used to be like a boarding house where the woman who owned it murdered a bunch of the tenants there. And he's told by like the psychic he brings on the show, like, don't go in there, it's super freaky. Well, guess what? He goes in there anyway, and he starts to be kind of like harassed by all the ghosts, and it kind of quickly turns into mayhem as like he's seeing visions of the murders. There he gets chases, he gets chased by a ghost of the woman with a chainsaw, and in the end, he kind of winds up getting killed but what i like is that throughout the whole thing he's like he's in there because it's live and he's talking over walkie talkies to like all the producers kind of stuck out in the tv van outside but they keep getting calls from the network that they that the ratings keep going up after when all this freaky shit starts happening so they're like yo keep him in there like keep him going through all this shit and all the people who treated like crap are now like kind of torturing him by forcing him to go through this haunted house with all this crap happening yeah i I I um I was gonna sorry, Brayden, you go first. No, I was just um I was just gonna give my ranking for this and oh, it yeah. is way down at number eight. Really? Number eight? This yeah. is you didn't like this. It's no. probably my number two as well. Really? I would say. Yeah. You didn't like this that much. No, it was uh I think there's uh better versions of this out there, definitely. Um Okay, I see that argument. Yeah. Um I think I do like the the comeuppance of this character and what happens to him. Yeah. Um I don't it's definitely like the horror really didn't feel that powerful to me like it was hmm. um or that there wasn't he just kind of goes through the house and falls out the window and gets hung. Uh I I really thought there was going to be way more uh, play between what happened in the house, like a mirroring between what happened in the house and what he is doing to the people around him. Mm, okay. That's fair. So set it up so well where they bring in this psychic who he he's like, oh, I thought it'd be whoever it was, but he ended up being this creepy man. I thought there was going to be this judginess kind of comeback come back or loop back to at the end of the episode where it was actually something to do with this psychic and mm. and it was something to do with the people that he has just been screwing okay sometimes I, literally I, all on on set i'll give you that at the whole thing those all could have used some more connectivity and that they all could have had more to do with each other what i really liked is that like they kind of they took like a it is a concept that's pretty familiar. Like, this wouldn't be new to anybody watching this in the 90s. It's not new to anyone watching it now, certainly. I just thought they did it. They just had a good haunted house horror ride with some asshole getting, like, harassed through all this. <laughs> with good direction, some funny lines. And I don't think the horror was anything, like, astounding. But I thought it, like, A, it served its purpose. And B, it was fun. I thought the whole episode was really fun. Mm-hmm. I expected to be bored by this episode. But I was. they mainly had my attention because it was just, like, a good fun ride of an episode that's why i put this mm-hmm. number two and i think it's like i think it's one of the funnest episodes of the series i think it's probably the funnest of my list my number one i didn't choose because of i got a fun i chose different reasons mm-hmm. but um i just really enjoyed the ride of this episode and i enjoyed like that it's like i also thought i also kind of like i found it unique that it's a boarding house woman who just kills all the men she, that are there for like almost there's no rhyme or reason why at least mm-hmm. what they've revealed there's no rhyme or reason i just kind of enjoyed it moss what were your thoughts yeah, I mean, there's um, there's a lot to it. I really like the the Crypt Keeper opening, where it kind of opens with uh, like him kind of playing with like 
static VHS video kind of effects and stuff. Um, but I, I think that uh, now that now that you bring up some things, you're right. I think that like the, the the haunted house kind of tropes have been done better elsewhere. But I think what the the reason that I like this one. Okay, actually, but before I say that though, when you what you brought up in terms of like what you thought was going to happen, I also now was thinking like when I was watching it, I was thinking that he was going to like experience all of the different deaths in the house because they were kind of playing it up where you kind of yeah. it's a smash cut right or not smash cut you know it's just a direct cut right to um, the past like this kind of quick almost I don't think there's any even audio to it it's just like it cuts to them in the bathtub or, or something mm-hmm. and Horton starts seeing them. Yeah. Um, so it's like, you think that maybe he's going to have, but it really is just kind of like the, the ghosts convalesce around him and then they, they kind of just kill him like that. So it's, it's not maybe as creative or as like satisfying as you might want now that I think about it. So I also love the fact that the network wants them to keep doing it because the ratings are all of a sudden mm-hmm. starting to skyrocket. Yeah. And again, this is also like you said, like this is someone who's like a media, like a media, oh, what's the word? Like a. Like a fading personality. Fading personality, yeah. And, but like, and like, I like that they're pushing that there's a fascination with so many people watching this with like all this horrible shit happening as long as they can experience it through some other guy, some other being, some other guy being the lightning rod for all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As, and as usual, the villainous capitalism, it's always for the ratings. It's always, I'm kidding, but, but also not. Um, that like the, the producers constantly egging him on to, uh, to, to just keep going with it. And, like, Horton initially is like, well, fine. Like, this is what I'd want. But uh, I think maybe when his camera guy is murdered, that's probably when he probably would want to get out of there. But yeah. it's interesting. It's But like Brayden also mentioned, again, these tropes have been done before. Um, like, the, the whole producers being like, no, the ratings are so good. Keep going. And yes, then that's yes. Just what leads to the death of the person. But... Um, yeah, I still think it's really solid, though. Like, I still think, especially the shots when they're just investigating the house and you just see, like, a, a vacant door start to open and you don't know what's going I, I think that was pretty... That was some pretty compelling horror imagery. Um, but, yeah, now that Brayden broke it down, though... <laughs> okay, fuck off. Like, like, just, well, no, there's, there's good parts to it, too. Like, yeah. I mean, there's... It's not there's my a, number second spot, do you think? Though. Do you think, like, if, like, let's say you had been, like, a regular, like, watcher of this show in the 90s, do you think you would have remembered this is a good episode? Uh, probably, you know, thinking about it, probably not. Honestly, wow. I did, uh, like, I enjoyed the Horton character, and there was some fun stuff that he's talking about how people will believe what I tell them to believe. And how truth is malleable and how he can just sell ratings based on the shit spewing out of his mouth. And how much of an act he puts on. I love that. Yeah. And I also love, like, he he paints himself in the beginning as, like, this, like, oh, look at me. Like, I'm this TV guy who can, like, roll with the punches. And, like, I've got, like, the killer instinct and all this shit. And he, like, kind of gives this little spiel about that to, like, his assistant or whatever. Or one of the producers. And then the second he's in the house, before all the freaky shit starts happening, over the walkie, she's like, you got to, like, amp it up a bit. Because the network thinks this is lagging and not that great. And he's like, what do they fucking expect me to do? What can I do to spice it up? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like. Didn't you just say you're this fucking genius? Like, get your yeah. get on the fucking ball, Horton. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's why I loved. I love like the one producer whose only role is there just to hate him. I know. And I know. Like, yeah. and they don't, I don't even think they have any on screen. Like, they don't exchange any dialogue with each other in the same room in that episode at all. Yeah, but like, he just keeps insulting him. They just yeah. see like the shot of the rats on the kitchen table. He's like, look, it's his family. Like, he's yeah. like instantly just roasting him. Like, behind I know. The scenes. Yeah. Oh, fuck. 
Yeah, the I mean, I would I would uh, reference uh, there's a there's a Korean film called I'm gonna butcher the name, but Gonjim Haunted Asylum. That is pretty much this, but uh, a team of ghost hunters, ghost hunters, um, and then they bring in like newcomers each, I guess, stream that they do, um, go to one of the haunted most haunted places on earth that they say is this haunted asylum. And they're doing a live broadcast with all their like body cams and everything um, and trying to reach a million viewers. So they're trying at first they're trying to set up okay. sequences and scares that are manufactured to make it feel like it's haunted. And then the ghosts inside um, start like start they're like, actually wow. doing stuff and and picking them off one by one. The ghosts are like, we could do so much better than this, guys. Yeah, Come on. Yeah. Like, let's get real here. Yeah, fair. But there was really no... Like, in that film, there's this whole setup of, like, there's this one room that no one can get into. I can't remember the number of the room, but there is this room. In this, he really doesn't give us a um, kind of a mission statement or whatever we need to, yeah. to figure out, because he's not solving anything. He's not... He all he wants to do is like we're gonna see ghosts in here. Yeah, just kind I of think general he does kind of like we're gonna figure out what's going on, but he doesn't even care about that. Okay, okay, yeah. fine. Yeah. All right, I see where you're all coming from. <laughs> I wanna. Okay, okay I will. I, sorry, I didn't mean to sound like that. Like I think like that's that's interesting. I'm. Uh, I guess now look thinking about your horror taste, I shouldn't be surprised you didn't like this episode as much. But I love haunted houses. Yeah, and that's that. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I'm going to stick by that. I still think this is my number two. This is still one of my favorite episodes of the series I saw. Uh, ready for my? Ready to go now, guys? We're going to go with my number one. All right, here we go. Uh, here I we don't. Go. Before I mention my number one, I do want to mention just a few. Well, one honorable mention episode. For anyone who's familiar with the series, you're going to notice that this one episode is not on my list. I think it's called All Through the House, and it's this very famous Christmas episode of Tales from the Crypt. Do you know what I'm talking about, Brayden? Is this... It's the Robert Zemeckis episode. Oh, okay. I was going to say it was a Spielberg No, so this is a Robert... Spielberg never directed an episode. No, I I always... I, for some reason, I think, or I've thought that he directs the Christmas episode. No. So it's Zemeckis and Spielberg. They said a lot of overlap. This episode is also... This this story was in the original 1970s Tales of the Crypt mm-hmm. movie, and they remade it for the series. It's actually the second episode of the whole series, if you yeah. can believe it. Yeah. And uh, it's very good. Okay, first, it's I'm not going to go into what the plot is. It's a very good episode. It's very Christmassy. It's very horror-like. I didn't include it on this episode because I was looking... I was thinking this is more of a Halloween episode. I was looking for more of the stuff you go watch around Halloween. And that episode feels more like a Christmas special. So, well, I think it's a very good episode. I'd probably include it on, like... I was actually thinking of us doing a, a countdown for Christmas specials on the podcast at one point. So I might put it on that list. But that's not on here. I'd also... I mentioned Beauty Rest earlier. That's an honorable mention I would give out. I'm not giving season or episode numbers for these. Uh, another one that's on a lot of other people's top ten lists that I didn't put, but I still think it's a very good episode, is called The Reluctant Vampire. Norm from Cheers is in it. He's not even the star. He's just in it. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that, so did I get the? Yeah, you got the right. Okay. Cool. Right. okay. <laughs> so, Reluctant Vampire is probably absolute cheesiest, corniest episode of Tales from the Crypt. And while I enjoyed it, I didn't just I just didn't like it as much as others. And I still think it's a good episode, but and it's, that's why it's an honorable mention. Check it out if you like. Is it like about a vegetarian vampire or something? Kind like of. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's but. They go to some interesting places with it. Like he's not exactly that. Like, okay. He's, okay. No, I, I'm willing to trust Tales of the Crypt now. Like otherwise, like before this point, if you told me like it's just a bunch of cheesy or like twists on cheesy horror plots, yeah. I would not care. But I like everything I've seen so far. Like it. It like 
just I'm gonna leave it at that. I'm not gonna go into the Buffy Vampire right, log, but it one. almost reads like a Sunday newspaper comic. The whole story. Anyway, <laughs> so my number one favorite slash best episode of Tales from the Crypt is Mute Witness to Murder, season two, episode fifteen. She's still having some difficulty speaking. Is it shock or some kind of stroke? Your wife has suffered a harrowing ordeal. She's tired. She's fragile. Give her time. But what happened? What should I do? You should go home and try to get some sleep. I just can't leave her here. Mr. Hastings, I assure you, she's safe here with me. In the morning, I'll run some tests, and then we'll have a clearer idea of what is disturbing her. Call me tomorrow. Please go now. Let her rest until tomorrow. This is Trask in room 19. Mr. Hastings is leaving now. Please show him out. And uh, so that was directed by Jim Simpson, written by Nancy Doyne, starring Patricia Clarkson, Richard Thomas, and uh, Reed Burney. And uh, so to give you a brief overview of the plot, um, uh, Patricia Clarkson and Reed Burney are... Uh, they're a married couple. They've been married for like like five or ten years at this point, something like that. And uh, they hold. It opens with them holding an anniversary party, and it's a costume party, which I thought was cool, like it's an anniversary party idea. Anyway, at the end of the anniversary, they go out on their balcony, and the husband is like, "I have a gift for you. I'm going to go get it." And she waits for him. And while looking across her balcony, rear window style, she sees another apartment, and she witnesses this guy murder his wife. And she's so like disturbed and astounded by witnessing the murder that she goes mute. She all of a sudden can't speak at all. All she can get out is like kind of like these very strained cries, but she can't actually form any words or anything like that. And so the husband comes back, finds her all disturbed, doesn't know what's happened. He's like, I'm going to call a doctor. And this doctor comes in who lives nearby. And who is it? And the doctor is the husband she just witnessed murder his wife. The doctor is played by... Um, Doctor's played by Richard Thomas, does a great fucking job as a creepy villain. He quickly realizes that she's witnessed him kill his wife. So she so he takes her, walks her up in this, in this private insane asylum that he kinda he doesn't own, but he's on the board of directors and he kind of controls it. And the rest of the episode is him like keeping her there, not telling the husband what's going on. Eventually to just get to the ending, eventually the husband realizes it, has like figures out what's happened, but the doctor kills him. And there's this big climax where the uh, the doctor needs like keeps taking these has a heart condition he keeps having to take pills and at one point he's like in the rubber room with her and he has to take and he doesn't have his pills and she just kind of watches him die and just leaves it at that and then she find then she reveals that she could speak for she could she could speak for part of it and then it just ends there so. Where did you rank? I feel like this is your number 10. This is my number 10. Yeah, so this is your least favorite of them all, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Wow, ironically enough. Okay, so I want to talk about what I liked about this episode. This is very personal taste for me in the sense that, like, I thought this was one of – when it comes to the, the approach that this show takes to thrillers and stuff like that, I think this was the most creative I've seen from the show. The whole premise to me was almost Hitchcockian. I think if you expanded the plot a bit, you could easily make a feature out of this. Like, if you had – like, there's a little bit in the middle where it starts to lag just a tiny bit, and I thought – and I think what you could do in a feature is I thought the husband was going to start investigating and figure it out on his own. Instead, how he figures it out is that they kind of have this like brief charades thing where he's visiting her in the hospital. But what I also loved is that this whole thing felt like a nightmare. Like you could easily imagine, mm-hmm. I could easily imagine like dreaming that like basically you can't scream you. when, yeah, yeah, you can't scream when something horrible has happened. Somebody who has all this power over you is like basically rendered you like has rendered you to nothing essentially. 
and you're trapped in this horrible mental hospital. Again, the mental ho- much like the courtroom and let the punishment fit the crime, this mental hospital felt like something out of a Tim Burton movie. It's weird. It was out of this world. Even the nurse in like the, the big hallways in this big rubber room and her trapped in a straight jacket. Then then the needle, the big huge hypodermic needles that keep injecting. Yeah. yeah, it was very fifties. One flew over the cuckoo's nest, a haunted house type of style. Uh, I love the Hitchcockian feel of it. I love the nightmare of a Chevy. The performances are great. Patricia Clarkson does a great job as the wife, mm-hmm. both when she's speaking and when she's like trapped and all these horrified facial expressions. Richard Thomas plays a great domineering, like psychotic villain. Uh, like the way he's like, he is no matter where he is, he's always looming over someone and he has a very looming personality and like the, how the light hits his face and everything. I just loved all of that. And that's why this is my number one. Uh, I found it just as terrifying as some of the others that were more traditional horror with like a fucking deformed brother attached to the hand and shit like that. But for the rest of you, what did you guys think um, of it? Before Braden tears into it, I just want to, <laughs> no, I just, I just want to quickly say, uh, I like this one. It reminded me a lot of the Stephen. I think it's Stephen Soderbergh movie called Unsane. Kind of came out somewhat recently, um, which is another kind of case of like you're trapped in this mental ward with someone who is abusing their role as like um, a a doctor or a kind of like a medical expert over there. But um, I think the husband Reed Bernie. Um, we saw him live in New York. The humans. He was the. Dad. He was in the humans. Yeah, I'm. Holy I'm, shit. I'm very confident because he's also the VP. Did you look on, it up, or you just think this? No, no, I know this because he's the VP on House of Cards, um, or he's like one of the. He's right. like the Tim Kaine. <laughs> so we saw him on Broadway together. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and I remember because we saw him in that play. So it's inter and um, yeah, and he's great in this. Uh, he really does play like the kind of. You know, he's going to die, pathetic husband. But he's so genuine and caring. It's I like, just wish he did more. Like, I wish he had... Start, like, if this were... Like, you could easily expand this this premise in a feature film. And I think in the feature film, it would have to involve the husband investigating and trying to figure out what's happened. And I think he'd also have to be cut off from the wife way more than he is in the show. Like, in the show, mm-hmm. in this episode, he is cut off from her for the most part. Like, to see her in person in the hospital, he does have to, like, fucking throw the goddamn the doctor up against a wall and demand that he sees her. But I feel like in, in a movie, he would have to be even more than that. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no. I, I agree. I think that um, you could expand a lot on the, the concept. of, And I feel like if you watch the movie Unsane that was recently made, or I'm sure that there's so many other films that are like this, too. Um, or I don't know, like mini episodes or whatever. I don't know. Um, the 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 concept of being trapped in a place where the the prime I don't know what's the word like arbiter of your safety is yeah. who wants to kind of kill you or torture you is such a great concept. It, it really does kind of like help flip the, the hellish elements of it uh, or the nightmarish elements where especially like we said earlier you can't speak you can't yell like yeah. I, I'm sure we've all had a dream where like we try and scream and nothing comes out and that's what makes it worse um, yeah yeah it's, it's a great one where was where oh, so I know you didn't make your own top 10 but like where it was this for you like lower I'm really sure but it's still fine I'm just saying it's like it would probably be like number 8 or number 7 so this is Brain's number 10 so Brain, why don't you yeah. take it away no I thought it was um, like you said I think it I think it could be a great feature film i think uh do you think it worked whole, as an ATV episode though uh, it was it was really kind of straightforward and you knew what was going to happen for the most part <sighs> why couldn't she i mean this is kind of a lame argument whatever <laughs> but like why can't she mouth words why can't anyone lip read in this <laughs> 
to argue in her defense, I think she was just so terrified and like but for how many years by the fact that or whatever it wasn't. I don't think it was years. I think it was just like a matter. I think this episode took place over a couple of months at the most. But still, but I think him walking in like. Him, the doctor walking in, that being the person you just saw, I think was enough of a shock for her not to be able to mouth words. Plus, they knock her out pretty quickly. And also, yeah. he only gets to see her over, like, a TV camera in the hospital for the most part. So that I would argue. I, with I guess it's, like, there's more creative ways you could have, yeah, like, done things, I think, to complicate that. I wanted to I was about to say, I don't think that, the like, she doesn't kind of mouth words because I think, like, the point of her illness is not that like it's her voice that's gone it's just like any kind of modes of communication but then i was like no because she kind of nods and Mm -hmm. shakes her head no so it's not like she can't communicate at all so it's a good point that you bring up like why can't she mouth or why can't she like make damn i didn't think i didn't like (laughs) i kind of knew i'll make this this list that like this probably wouldn't be your guys's number one i didn't think it'd be as low for you are you like dismayed the fact i even put this my number one at all a little bit his uh, brain's opinion of you I, decide myself. <laughs> um, I I don't know I just was really pulled into this episode I just liked a lot of it I liked that idea of like someone witnessing something and going silent like I I'm sure it's probably been done before this episode of Tales from the Crypt but I don't remember seeing anywhere else so this is my first introduction to that concept I guess I, I don't know. I just liked. I liked. I liked the ride. I know it's. You're right. It is a bit straightforward, but I kind of enjoyed it. I wish more had happened in the middle a little bit, but I just enjoyed. I just yeah. This is like one of my, my favorite episodes of the series. To be fair, I do think a lot of its effective story moments happen not because it's straightforward, but because like you know, uh, it's it's not trying to be so dynamic with the story that leading yeah. you like where who knows what's next. It's like it just isn't. The, and maybe I'm imagining this, but isn't there a line where he says? You don't have to. I'm not going to do anything to you. I'm not going to like. He says he's not going to violate her. Is I'm what not, they say. So it's like I. So now we know we have a barrier. I think of, it was literally just him saying that he's not going to sexually assault her. Though. That's not him saying he was going to do anything. Like he was going to teach her. Well, like, I know, but, but now we have a. We have now a defined border of what is okay and what isn't okay Although, for this villain. But then later, after he kills the husband, he re- he's like, I'm going to kill you. Like, we're going to do a surgery, and I'm going to botch it, and you're going to die. Or, like, he, I think he mentions a lobotomy, too. But yeah. I think there is a... I think Abracadavers is a better version of this episode, in a way. Um, I could Just s- in terms of being stuck inside yourself. Um, I don't agree, but I, I, see, see, the I, see, yeah, I see your point. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also, I thought the... I mean, it does. We're we're judging it based on what it is, not what I wish it could be. But um, I thought they were going in a direction of some kind of Stockholm syndrome, where she he is convincing her to now become his new wife. That he, since mm, he had okay. murdered his first wife, she had witnessed it. She is next in line to be this new evil doctor's um, wife or partner or whatever, um, and that that she's going to come to a point where she has to choose between the old wife and this new doctor. Maybe that's just because I had watched Poughkeepsie tapes recently yeah. oh, and there was God. this whole Stop. very gruesome <laughs> Stockholm syndrome thing going on. That's terrifying. Um, but I thought, I really thought they were going to go farther with um, a doctor, especially, I guess he's a psychiatrist or some kind of brain surgeon Some performs lobotomies. I know that doesn't take much expertise, but um, that Brain is done a lot of things. You know, like, you really don't need to know much. You just stick. You just a, throw the apron on ice, and you kind of yeah, get out. Uh, stick an ice pick right in there. <laughs> um, it's it's just just it around. Yeah, Sean um, the loose out. 
Stop. Uh, but yeah, you really just have like I really thought he it was going to he was starting to really play with her reality more mm. than what we're presented with, and okay. that and that we will have to start um, questioning what's going on. But we're pretty mm. we're pretty cemented in what the reality is yeah. going on around her, especially because we have that perspective of the husband yes. outside of it. If we were stuck in the room with her and yeah. we weren't really sure uh, what what was going on outside of those walls, I think it would have been a lot scarier and a lot that's fair um, more dangerous. That's one of the good parts about the movie Unsane that I think that mm. does well, like kind of running with this concept of feeling like unsafe in a place that's supposedly trying to like um i don't know like put you back into society like it's supposed mm-hmm. to be like a cushiony place for for you to fall yeah right like that the asylum is ideally supposed to fix you but and yet it seems to be this like this vortex of, of mental pain for people right yeah so all right yeah that's fair i i can see your point i'm still gonna stick with my guns and say this is still my number one and i'm not swaying on that I it is a great episode. I'm not I remember when I was first making this, I was bouncing between this being my number one and something like New Arrival or Television Terror. Actually, I don't think I think it was this between this and New Arrival, but tele, Television Terror is never going to be my number one. But um, yeah, this is uh, I can I think what you're saying would have made the episode better. I think maybe if they had all if you would if you've been stuck in the hospital with her the whole time after she goes in, that might have like added more to it. And yeah, but a good. I'm, I'm glad we did this because like part of this was like to debate whether or not this should be in my top ten at all and stuff like that. Yeah, no, it could be a sweet uh, feature film starring Tom Hardy as the Doctor. Really, that's your pick. That's, that's your. My pick. That's your. That's your. Tom Hardy is a creepy. These doctor. are your terms for making this. Like, yeah, because I, could I, see it, that. It, I. I don't know. I. I felt like there was going to be sexual tension or romantic tension brewing between her and the doctor because they set it up as this he's this mysterious man that lives across the alleyway. I think they would have added a level to it maybe. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me of that new Amy Adams movie that's coming out where she's like she plays someone who can't leave her her house mm-hmm. and next door she knows the neighbor and then, but she sees the neighbor being killed or something along the line. It's not out yet. Yeah. I've seen the trailer what movie is for this. It. Oh, I forget what it I forget what it's called, but it's I'll look it up later. Newest Amy Adams movie, I think. Anyway, well, there's Hillbilly Elegy that's coming out. Yeah, oh, that, okay. like, oh, someone, Ron, Ron Howard. I saw someone. I saw someone retweet this, and someone was like, "I imagine this is what the rural juror was supposed to be." <laughs> <laughs> is it elegy or effigy? It's elegy. 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 It looks. Okay. It, it it, I'm sorry. It does not look good in my opinion. Like, uh, well, anyway, book. did you know that? Nope. Like a somewhat autobiographical book about whoever wrote it. Huh. Anyway. But, uh, okay, yeah, this kind of concludes the whole top ten. Yeah, that was a good uh, look, Zach. What the, yeah, I was going to say, like, good do you, picks. at the end of the day, do you think I picked, like, a good ten episodes? Yeah. Yeah, I, re- I think I'd really only seen season one. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, and it was that, interesting that, that you, never, you didn't pick any. You picked a lot of season two. So maybe yeah. you want to go into season two and dig into that. Season yeah, two, for the most part, is pretty good. And, like, one thing I will say, if anyone after listening to this wants to go watch the whole series I will warn you that like for every good episode of Tales from the Crypt there is a bad one like I could even go back and do a top 10 worst episodes of this series because there are some <laughs> bad episodes of this series like what's the Kyle McLaughlin one like because I don't think I've seen that one which Kyle McLaughlin which, which one is that well I know Kyle McLaughlin's in an episode but... oh I don't I don't Kyle McLaughlin doesn't stick out enough for me to be able to recall based on that I'm sorry Braden sorry show me like an image that's, that's too bad I'll um, get back to you okay okay <laughs> um but yeah uh 
This is good. I'm glad you guys came on. Um, thank you for coming back, Brayden. Again, first recurring guest. You're yes. glad you're like mandatory host, co-host came <laughs> on with you. <laughs> uh, um, and thank you guys for like watching all the... <laughs> this was like a nice break after Moss and I had to watch like nine movies overnight last week or two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know... We still I, love doing that, but... Yeah, obviously, always down to marathons and stuff. But uh, yeah, it was nice to... Again, as I said earlier, this is my first time ever watching Tales from the Crypt, and um, for the, my first ten episodes that I ever saw, I feel like I got a pretty great selection. Um, I, yeah, it, it only makes me want to watch more. Seriously. Okay, cool. Especially, especially, I'll just shout out Don Rickles. Um, that, <laughs> that episode... No, seriously, because it really it blew me away because I was really thinking that it would be more lighthearted horror, like really like are you afraid of the dark kind of energy? But it was so good. Tales of the Crypt is a very good mix of that. And like again, at the end of the day, also watching these episodes, usually sometimes the best part of these episodes is just the tale. It's just the Crypt Keeper intro and outro. Even at their even at the series worst, those intros and outros are very like fun to watch. I'm a big fan of when he's uh he's in the straight jacket for Mm -hmm. the the intro and he's just he's talking about how the puns are just taking over his brain and can't stop doing puns. (laughs) just like please and then he makes like a punitentiary pun and he's just like oh my god it's it's good stuff and then it comes back to him later and he's like i'm good now and he's like brutally murdered the yeah, psychiatrist yeah. or I think he has like like a maybe i'm thinking of a different point but the outro for one of them he has like a like a like a pipe connected so you can like get the brain ooze out of his head it's yeah like, yeah anyway just clever stuff uh yeah so for those listening if you've never seen the series go check it out uh before we I want to wrap it up soon because we're we're like two hours, aren't we? At this point, yeah, we're two hours thirty minutes. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> Fuck, this fun, is gonna be it's a, gonna be a fun edit. We talked about John Lovitz for for too <laughs> long, a great amount of time. <laughs> I think like um, well over thirty percent of this episode. Brandon, do you want to plug? Do you want to plug some? Like, you have some stuff to plug do before I have we some go. Things, uh, yeah, well, yeah, go check out. A series that I'm writing and co-producing called Sophie the Exorcist. The trailer is out now, and we're hoping to shoot it next year so yeah good web series hopefully yeah thank you sorry i didn't i didn't that it's so like hopefully i'm sorry no it's great like everything you've put out so far is like a plus shit like yeah i I was about to say as karen wine said she makes the canadian true blood like i you know i that was bonkers to me yeah (laughs) i'm waiting for my cyborgs blu-ray soon so i'm i'm hoping what did you pay for one I, yeah, I did, <laughs> no, we just want you to give well, them. Yeah, one. Did, uh, d- didn't you post something? Uh, there was like an order thing I saw somewhere. There's like a poster too that you could have bought too, right? Oh, I d- we'll have to talk about this because I don't remember. I don't recall any of this. Great. Well, anyway, that's. I mean, it's your show. So anyway, uh, <laughs> okay. So yeah, thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll be back with a shorter episode next month. Right, <laughs> right on. Thanks for that. <laughs>I Went to Film School is recorded in Toronto, Canada and produced by Zach Gladstone and Anthony Moss.